I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Theology. Theology. Unplugged. Okay. Hold on. There's dog hair all over this. I got five German shepherds. You try to deal with that with that letting them in and having a microphone. All right. You can't see it that much. Maybe a little bit right there. And you can't see it if you're on Spotify. You have to come to YouTube. Uh, I think we're going to upload this to Rumble, too. I mean, that's what everybody keeps on telling me. I've got to go to Rumble. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. My name is Michael Patton, and I am going to present to you a... I'm going to try to make an argument about myself, uh, because I'm preparing you for the new series that I'm starting. It's a new series, but yet an old series. I've done it before, a long time ago, but I I want you to know where I'm at on this. Because I know that this was probably our most popular series that we've ever done. And beforehand, I did it with Sam and Tim and uh, other uh, other people were joining us at the time. Sam Storms. But uh, remember, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to get a notification every time that we have a podcast or I have a podcast, then uh, click on that little bell on YouTube or wherever it is on Rumble, and then it'll tell you each time. And you won't miss any of these podcasts, because these are the greatest podcasts there are, even with the dog hair. Okay, my my job right now is to convince you that I want to be a charismatic. You may have been over to my blog. I've written a blog about this. There's going to be parallel blogs going on about this, with this whole series. So keep up on my blog at credo, credohouse.org. Uh, go to credo, credocourses.com. CredoHoss.org, CredoCourses.com. I know, it's a little bit confusing, but you can get to from one to the other. So if you get to one, just look for the other. Um, that's where we have all of our uh, material, all of our courses, all of our the greatest courses that are on the face of the earth. I mean, seminary-type courses for lay people. So go to CredoCourses.com to get that. Uh, but uh, I'm paralleling this. It's I want to be a charismatic, basically. That's it. And I want you to join me on this journey, the journey of this journey of I, I, the best I can call myself right now, you'll understand it more later, is a cessationist, like to cease cessationist. A cessationist is basically someone who does not believe that the charismatic gifts are for today, nor pursues them. There'll be a definition that I'll put out there later. I don't necessarily like to call myself a cessationist because I want to be a charismatic so much. I really do. And I'm going to tell you my story today, my journey about how I got to today and where I've been the last 10 years as well since I did the last podcast on this. Uh, but my, my, I, I mean, my description of myself as a wannabe charismatic is very serious. I mean, I really do want to be a charismatic. I want to believe that God's presence is active, is available, is uh, changing lives in ways that are 
that are beyond our understanding, that, that, that we look at and we can only point to God and we understand that whenever things, these things happen, whether it's miracles or healings or even tongues, those types of things are supernatural. They don't come natural like other things that we do that are extraordinary. We do a lot of extraordinary stuff as humans. God has created us in such a way. We can, we can communicate. We can build things. We can invent. It's incredible what humans can do, but those things are normal. We all do them. We all can progress and have an ambition to be able to be something and at least work to it, towards it. And many people will be able to accomplish their dreams. I can't really have the dream of doing miracles. I can't really have the dream of one day um, um, healing somebody. With the with respect to the idea that I'm pursuing that dream and I can accomplish it myself through my natural means, through just like anybody else can, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, non-Christians don't seek after um, trying trying to be able to do miracles unless they believe there's some scientific reason for these things and they're not really called miracles at that point. I want to see God's presence. I want to see his intervention. I wish I lived in the time of Christ or the time of Christ was right now so that I could witness everything that he did and just be blown away by it. Just fall on my knees because you feel the presence of God in a different way. I know, I know we all, as believers, feel the presence of God in some way whether it's intellectual because we just know he's present and therefore it's just an automatic thing that we walk through the day with, or you have an emotional capacity to be able to sense things that other people can't sense. Uh, I, don't, I'm not, I don't have that capacity. I know God is real. I know he's present and I believe it. And I live in such a way, at least I try to, don't do very well at it, but I live in such a way as to uh, uh, fulfill that belief so you can see it inside of me. But I can't do miracles. I want to see miracles. I mean, whenever I say I want to be charismatic, I'm not saying that I want to, I don't know what, what you might think of it. Those of you who are not charismatics, I'm not saying I want to be weird. I mean, <laughs> I'm not saying I want to have some type of ecstatic experience that that is self-produced. I don't, I'm not saying I want to have dreams and then interpret those dreams and just because you're, you're forced to, just because you feel a compulsion because that's what your community is doing and they tell you to interpret dreams. I want God to be in presence, present in my life in such a way to where, you know, he approaches Samuel and he says, Samuel, and Samuel says, who is it? You know, and he keeps on saying Samuel until Samuel understands that it's God. I want to be lifted up to the third heaven like Paul. I want to be in the presence of Christ. I, I want to be in heaven. I know we've got a lot of work to do here now, but I want to be in the presence of Christ. And if you're a Christian, I hope you do too. I hope ultimately that is your goal. You understand the fulfillment that you will have, the fulfillment of everything that you are, the fulfillment of your greatest heart's desire will be fulfilled one day in Christ. And if that is true, if we know that, then of course we want it now. Of course we want the presence of Christ. I want everything that God can give me. I do. 
I don't know why. I mean, I know it sounds weird because I, I, I want to convince you of this so much because I want to convince you that whenever I go through this and evaluate these charismatic gifts, whenever I evaluate the charismatic position, when I evaluate continuationism, the idea that the supernatural sign gifts such as healing miracles and uh, tongues and such as that have have continued all the way to today, whenever I look at churches and see them doing it, I don't want you to see the bias that I that I attempt to overcome. And yes, I, I grew up. Here's the way I grew up. I grew up in a Baptist church. It was led by Dallas Seminary uh, pastor, two Dallas Seminary pastors. Dallas Seminary is known is uh, known as the bastion of cessationism. The belief that the gifts ceased out of necessity due to the fulfillment of their role once the Bible was completed or shortly thereafter. That is what secessionism is. I grew up under that type of teaching. I became very comfortable with that type of teaching. I believed it very deeply. Um, I used to go to church with a friend of mine at the local charismatic church, and his mom and his family were charismatics. And I always dreaded it. Both of us did because he wasn't a charismatic either. But both of us dreaded going there because of the sensationalism. And it scared us. I mean, that's ultimately what it did. We didn't know how to react. We didn't know how to join in whenever people were dancing down the aisles, whenever they were praying in tongues. We just looked at each other and thought, this is bizarre. And be based upon that back then, it must be not true. You know, bizarre equals not true, which as you, if you listen to my last podcast, you know, I don't really believe that, especially anymore. Uh, and it's not true the, just because something's bizarre doesn't make it not true. Um, we've got to approach everything. Everybody here, if you're approaching this, you're joining me on this journey and you plan on joining me for the rest of this journey, whether through the blog or uh, through this podcast, I, I you're going to have to start. Not with the assumption that you're wrong, but the assumption that you could be wrong. And you've got to be very serious about that. If you're coming here just to confirm your prejudice, I mean, it's easy enough. Confirm your own prejudice. You don't need me. Uh, But I want you to join me in consideration of the charismatic gifts. In consideration as someone who currently is not convinced of it, wants to be convinced. You should want to be convinced as well. And if you approach this, if you don't approach this without the presumption that you could be wrong, then you're never going to learn. There's no such thing as learning unless there's a presumption that you might be wrong. It's impossible to learn. I mean, what do you do? You go in some place to learn at school and you say, I'm already right about everything. I just want to see if this guy's right. Or I just want to make sure he falls in line with, with the direction that I want him to go. And then I'll be fulfilled. That's no fun. That's not learning. I mean, I really, I've grown to love to change and to, to see how much, how much bigger God is than me and my thoughts and sometimes how different he really is than what I thought before. And if you're not open to that, if you're not ready for that, then you're just going to have to stay in your little bubble and you're going to have to decide not to ever learn because I mean, what, what what other choice is there in this situation? So I'm I'm calling you to join me on this journey. I'm calling you to to see the the glory 
of God and his power or to consider it. Um, I wish I could be asking you to join me in the charismatic movement. I do, but I'm not convinced that it's true. And currently right now, I'm not. I went to church. I would thought they were weird. I, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what else to do at that point. It was just an emotion that overcame me. Whenever I got older and really got into studying the Bible, really got into you know, the, the books and the commentaries and, and learning, I started eating everything up. But I only ate things up at that point that went in line with what I already believed. Whenever I'd go find a commentary ser- series, I remember the first time I ever saw John MacArthur commentaries, you know, the, the kind of purplish ones or the brownish ones with the, with the signature of John MacArthur on it. I remember that exactly that day for some reason because I walk up and it's just like a, I've never seen these things before. And, and I learn what a commentary is and I see this whole wall, wall of commentaries. And it's, it, it was just like the greatest Christmas I'd ever seen. I can get any of this stuff and start eating it up. And I'd go straight to the commentary series. And what I would do is I would go find whatever commentary it is. I'd go find whatever whatever uh, volume or whatever page it was in where they talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 12. <laughs> and I remember that John MacArthur was the first one I picked up and I looked at First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 12. And you know, if you know John MacArthur, you know that he is a hardcore cessationist. And in his commentary, he argues for that. And I was like, okay, check off. Let's buy this one. And that's what I would do. I'd never do anything that would go against what I, what I believe because it's uncomfortable. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. But we've got to be uncomfortable if we're going to learn. So I lived that way for quite some time. I, I learned within my sphere, and I'm not saying everything within my sphere was wrong. There was a lot of things that were great. And there's the commonality that we all have towards Christ and apologetics, what he did, who he is, the person and work of Christ. And so it wasn't as if I was going completely the wrong direction. I was going the right direction in a lot of ways, but I had the wrong mindset because I would only accept what I already accepted. You see that? Isn't that odd? I don't, I don't understand that mentality anymore. I, I hope you understand that. I really don't. But I do understand the bias that is created. I do understand the bias, like my professor said in, in college, my historic theology professor, John Hanna. I remember during class one day, he said, we're going to teach you all these great things about the history of theology and truth and all these wonderful heroes of faith and what they did in councils and on and on we're going to go. But in the end, you're just going to believe what mommy and daddy told you whenever you were young. <laughs> I mean, the, and you know, that struck me as so true right then. That was so impactful for me because at that point I saw the foolishness in that, that that's the only thing we believe. That's the only thing I want to believe. That's the only thing I'm open to believing, and I began to change. It was hard, and it is hard to change. But I, I was going through this period where I was just learning everything that was right in line with what I already believed. I ended up going to this college. It was a real random thing. I remember the day. I remember looking through the Christianity Today magazine that I that I subscribed to, and there was a little card in it that had um, the option to fill out and take online classes, and this was back in '98 or distance ed classes um, from a place called University of Biblical Studies and Seminary. And I looked at the address of it, and the, the, the seminary was in Oklahoma, and it was very close to me. And I got excited because I was at the local university, and I was just 
I was just majoring in English. By this time, I wanted to go to Dallas Theological Seminary and study, so I was just trying to get something that would prepare me. I think English is a very good preparation for seminary, especially if you're going to have to take the languages. So there was nothing wrong with that, and I probably should have stayed in that if I was doing the right thing in the, in, in the way I wanted to go. But God had different plans. I saw this seminary. I saw that I could take the last few hours. My wife wasn't done with college yet. I was getting ready to finish away earlier than her, but we could not move until she was done. We had about an extra year. And so I thought, hey, I may lose a lot of hours, but I'm going to go to this seminary for two years or this University of Bible College and Seminary. I was going to go to the college part of it, get my bachelor's there in biblical studies. And that is what I did. I ended up going on campus since it was so close. And um, to make a long story short, get there. And one day we have chapel. And during chapel, you have this crazy guy. I mean, he was crazy, at least in my mind. And he was going around prophesying over everybody. And he was going down the list, one by one. And I was like, dear God, please don't let him come to me. Please don't let him come to me. Because I don't know how to act. You know, is it, is, it, is it the righteous thing to do to tell him off right in front of his face and tell him he's wrong? Because I knew in my mind he was wrong. Because why? Because my parents told me. I mean, that's what I learned beforehand. I mean, I'm not sure that he was right anyway. He may have been more of a charlatan because it, it was kind of really bizarre. It was more bizarre than what I'm going to be considering. Um, but he was going down the list, prophesying over everybody. Luckily, I somehow dodged out. I just think I ducked down and hid long enough for the chapel to be over. That's where I was at. But get into class. And I, I had this class, this one class, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was only one class with this guy, but I did get to know him really well. Sat next to me. We got to know each other. He was just the greatest guy. I mean, loved the Lord like crazy. Tender, nice, kind, wanted to learn, ate everything up, cared only about Jesus. And I really liked the guy. I started to admire him. And as a matter of fact, I started to look at him and say, gosh, my, my life... Uh, is not as good as his, or at least my faith is not as good as his. I don't love Christ as much as this guy. And and it, it not only disturbed me, but it inspired me. Wanted to get to know him. Wanted to figure out how, how he was, how he was constructed, so I could construct myself in such a way, at least in the emotional aspect of it. But I come to find out he, is, he speaks in tongues. I mean, not only does he speak in tongues, he's very charismatic. And then come to find out the chapel service represented what the school was. The entire school was charismatic. And here I am, a secessionist, going to get ready to go to Dallas Seminary, sitting in the dab middle of the third wave charismatic school, and they elected me student council president. <laughs> oh, it was a it was a bizarre time. But I I learned a lot at that time. And I think that's whenever I started my journey on wanting to be charismatic. Um, but you know, at the same time, went through all the, all the motions of the day, probably not as honestly as I could, but I found them all wanting. It was not true. I learned, uh, then I began to learn later on after I'd gone to seminary that, that some of my heroes were charismatic, Wayne Grudem, uh, JP Moreland, uh, John Piper at least was, you know, somewhat charismatic, or at least he claimed to be charismatic, was open to it. Uh, Craig Keener, uh, so many of the great people out there that I knew, Gordon Fee 
that I was learning from, that I admired as scholars, were charismatic. And I thought, how can there be an intellectual charismatic? There's no such thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, during this time, it was nine, eight, late 80s, all through the 90s and early 2000s, you have the rise of the intellectual charismatics. And I know that they talk about a third wave, but I think we're there in a fourth wave. I think you got the first wave as the Pentecostals, second wave is the charismatic, uh, third wave is the John Wimber signs and wonders, which most of them like to connect themselves to. And I know they're, they're graduates of the third wave, but they're really fourth wave because these guys love theology, they love truth, they love critical thinking. I mean, there's nothing, there's not a better book in the world, not one in the world, than love the Lord with all your mind whenever it comes to the intellectual needs, the intellectual lack, the intellectual um, importance that we have to love the Lord with all of our mind. And that's by J.P. Moreland, the charismatic who used to be a cessationist, who went to Dallas Seminary as well. So you have these graduates of Dallas Seminary, John Deere, Jack Deere, all of these uh, graduates of the Dallas Seminary even, uh, Sam Storms. I mean, it just on and on it goes. These are great charismatics. These are guys that I trust so much. But at the same time, they have this view, at least in this area, that is so different than mine. They have experiences, at least they say, that are so different than mine. And it was during this time, this whole time, four, five, six, seven years, that I'm like changing in my views. Not changing in my views as far as my position, but changing in the way I approach this position or these positions. The way I have beforehand would go to the books and try to find which ones didn't or did teach cessationism, didn't teach the charismatic view. And now I'm now I'm looking for these people. I want to see a good argument. I want them to convince me. I want to be convinced. And I think I'm really close. I'm just not there. Yes, I'm still a secessionist, but I'm very close. And I want you to join me on this journey. I wanted to tell you about where I've been so far in this journey, how I've gotten to the position that I am at. Now, I met Sam Storms, gosh, it was probably 2008. We had him on a podcast that we had going called Converse with Scholars. I don't remember what it was over, what book he had done, but it was some book, and I really began to admire Sam Storms. Whenever I had all the trouble that I had in my family, my, my mom and my dad and my sister and everything, and had to move back to Oklahoma City, a lot of you guys know that story, a very, very hard time of my life. Uh, Sam Storms had moved back to Oklahoma City as well. He was from Oklahoma. And Sam Storms started a church right down the street from the Credo House. I had the Credo House open, which was the Credo House coffee shop. Some of you know about that. That was the headquarters of this ministry. I had a big, big coffee shop and had guests in, special speakers. That's where we recorded all our videos. It was an incredible place. It really was. I just, it was so cool. Um, we'll see if the Lord bring, helps me to bring it back or something. But uh, Sam Storms was very involved in that. And I, I became very, very good friends with Sam Storms. As a matter of fact, he was doing this podcast with me for years. It was me, Sam, and Tim, and that uh, we were kind of the stable people on the podcast, if you can remember. And I still love Sam Storms. And Sam Storms is probably the leader, as I've talked about before, of the charismatic movement today. 
But I have not, as much as I admire him, as much as I I try to see his position, as much as I've been to his church, I did. I went to his church for a long extended period of time, and I appreciated it. I really did. I love the church service. I love the worship. I love that Sam was a theological bulwark and did not want the excesses of the charismatic movement in there. And I know whatever you think of this, I know some of you used to be charismatic. You grew up Pentecostal. You grew up in a church that was, you know, uh, every everything, as long as you had enough faith, you could pull it off. I know that you guys have been there, and that's what you've experienced, and therefore you cannot consider the charismatic movement. I want you to do your very best to loosen, loosen your grip on on your anger towards that. Every movement starts off more radical. It does. I mean, the Reformation movement, you had Martin Luther. He had a lot of excesses. The the total annihilation of the Jews, his inability to make up or or at least partner with Zwingli, their separation, the the way he talked. The very beginning of the or the Reformation was hard line, and we have loosened up since then. It was it was there was excesses in it. I'm a dispensationalist, <laughs> a dispensationalist who wants to be charismatic, but dispensationalism is the same way. You go back to early dispensationalism. And you find it much more hard line and odd stuff in there and stuff that you begin to associate with a belief, kind of like uh, there was a different way people were saved in the Old Testament. Dispensationalists never really believed that, but maybe early on that's the way it communicated. And I understand people who left because of that. But every movement begins to graduate. Calvinism has graduated uh, from where it was at, more hard line, uh, the Theodore Beza type Calvinism. And you have, uh, you have the kind of the the golden nuggets of it that come out, and and begin to present themselves, and they are a lot more legitimate. They are a lot more legitimate contenders for the truth than all the excesses they had beforehand. And you may have gotten in the charismatic movement early on. You may have been there, and there was tons of excesses. You had abusive, um, you had an abusive church, an abusive movement, an abusive pastor. I understand that, but let me tell you something. The graduate, the charismatic movement today, at least the fourth wave charismatic, which again, I'm not a charismatic, but I want you to understand they are much different. They are there. It's not just more tame. It's just more, more careful when they when they're dealing with. It. They have more respect for the Lord. They have more respect for. Uh, the difficulties, uh, the excesses, and they they reject those things. They don't allow them to go on. They don't allow your church to be so crazy somebody comes in and thinks you are all fools because everybody's speaking in tongues. Sam Storms, I think, is one of the best representatives of this, although there's a lot of them out there. I'm not saying Sam Storms the only one, but he's close to me. He's one that I'll evaluate. He's one that's writing the most on the subject right now. He is trying to not only legitimize the charismatic movement in people's eyes, but he really wants people to be charismatic because he wants people to experience the Lord. And he says he does. He speaks in tongues all the time. I know I've talked about him a lot. Um, and I'm going to continue to because his books, you know, the the Convergence and the Spiritual Gifts book, the Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts, if you want to get those, those are some of the things that I will be referring to. 
as I go through, as I try to convince myself of this. Maybe I'll get Sam back on here and he'll do another podcast with me and we'll do a special broadcast. Maybe we'll do a few of them. I don't know, but it's a journey, and I want to catalog that journey. I want you to join me in it. This time, I talked about my my experience, my past with the charismatic movement. I've tried to convince you to uh, have an open mind about it. Uh, and if you're if you are a charismatic listener to this, you've got to have an open mind too that you're wrong. Okay, so uh, let's. I'm not saying I'm infallible going through this, but you can watch me go through it, and you can watch somebody who is a true wannabe charismatic. And uh, see what happens. Maybe at the end of this, I will be charismatic. I hope, I really do hope by the end of this, I'm going to my wife, that I've talked to her a lot about this, and say, Christy, I've finally been convinced. Now, here's what we do. You see? I mean, how exciting would that be? I'm finally finally convinced. I'm going to do Joe Biden. I'm finally convinced that it is true. And that it is something so serious that I have to whisper right now. It's something that's so exciting that I have to be more dramatic. All right. Hopefully you're going to join me on this. Uh, Please don't forget to subscribe. And remember, you may ask the question, how in the world do I I, uh, live? What's the living? I don't have the Kredos anymore, but this is what I do full time. And I get support through a place called Patreon. Patreon is a place that you'll go to if you go to Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. If you go to that, you will find R-E-O-N, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon.com, and look for C. Michael Patton, or just put C. Michael Patton, Patreon.com forward slash C. Michael Patton. You will find me. You've got, look at this, if you join at $3 a month, you get access to all of the you get you get access to all of the uh, material or a lot of the material that's on the Credo House web Credo Courses website. If you join it join at twenty five dollars per month, you get access to everything, everything that we've put up. The the gosh thousands of of downloads that we have of great theological material. You get access to every single bit of that. And you help me to make a living and keep doing this. So please join me uh, there and. Um, Uh, Join me next time, too. Make sure you subscribe to this. And we will see you next time. Theology 